Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. We are glad you are here this morning uh, worshiping with Trinity Baptist Church. Um, If you are visiting, we are especially glad you are here. Let me pray for us as we enter into this sermon moment together. God, we do thank you for the breath in our lungs and the breakfast in our bellies. We remember those hungry this morning, God. We remember those who were hurting, maybe even among us, God, help us to be thankful and present here today for this moment, for this hour where we are graced to hear a word from your word. But God, do not let us become too comfortable. Afflict us in the most heavenly way with a heart for the world, with an ear, an eye toward the needs around us, God even as we are here listening to you. For it is in your name we pray, amen. We finish up today our series we've called Incarnation in Action, following up from uh, Advent, following up from the Christmas season as we approach the birth of Jesus, looking at in these first few weeks of the year as we kind of shift our gaze slowly from the the cradle, from uh, Bethlehem to the cross and the empty tomb to come at Easter in our church year. What did Jesus come to do? And we've looked at three specific statements. There's three times in the gospels where Jesus specifically said, the son of man came to, and he spells it out in no uncertain terms. And we've talked about these over the last couple of weeks as we have both looked at what did Jesus come to do? And therefore, in light of what Jesus came to do, how are we to live in light of those who follow Jesus? And so the first of these was uh, in Luke, the son of man, or excuse me, in Mark, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And the second was the Son of Man came seeking and serving the lost, which we talked about last week. And and certainly there's action to those things, right? We're not to be served, but to serve, which which means we are to do some things of service and seeking and saving the lost. There's some action to that. But we talked about really more than the specific actions we might be led to take. It's, it's a bearing Jesus is talking about. It's, a, it's an attitude. It's, it's an active state of being where we seek to live filled by the Holy Spirit, following Jesus, and so that our posture to the world is one of my bearing I put out there for the world at work and at play in our neighborhoods with my family everywhere is not one that I'm a person seeking to be served, but I'm a person looking to serve the world. The, the posture I put out into the world in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is is not one that that is closed off and looking for my own rights, right? Or for my needs to be met. But I am seeking those that are lost, those that are hurting, those that don't know Jesus, those that are in mourning, those that are in grief, all of these and more, seeking them to to save them, to, to help them, to make them whole, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit as God leads. It's a posture 
we're talking about. Those are Jesus' statements on purpose, meaning he made them on purpose, yes. I just realized that was confusing phrasing. As I write these things, sometimes when they come out, you go, oh, that didn't quite come out like I wanted. Their statement about Jesus' purpose, uh, what he came here to do. Today, we get a statement that's more about method. And if you take something home from today, take this. You need to know your purpose in life. You need to know why you exist and why you are here and the purpose on which everything in your life is built, your family, your, your work, the decisions that you make, the way you spend the money, the way you spend your time, how you think about the world. You need to know that purpose that forms all of this. And you need a method to carry out your purpose. Methods without purpose are dangerous. Purpose without method are pointless. You, you need a purpose. You need to know this. And for us, grounded in Jesus, it is to serve Jesus. It is to uh, our life to be ever more conformed to the ways of Jesus. And, and you need a method to carry that out. Some ways you're gifted, some ways you enjoy, some way you being who you are living in this place in this specific time in history, how is God leading you to carry out your purpose? We get a method statement today by Jesus. Not the only method, but perhaps in Luke, the prime method, Jesus goes about to carry out his purpose. And, and it's this. Our third and final statement in Luke 7, Jesus says, we'll get to the context of it in a minute. The son of man has come eating and drinking. A lot to get into there, y'all. The son of man has come eating and drinking. As you can tell from the profile shot, I'm excited about this one. I spend a good deal of my time, both of those things. This is not a, a statement of purpose, but a statement of method. Let's put it in its context today and, and really see what in the world Jesus is talking about here. And, and again, if Jesus is gonna say three things that he came to be doing, why he includes eating and drinking in that three. So in John, the middle of John 7, John 18, John the Baptist, we know John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, prophet, forerunner of the Messiah. We're gonna to get to those things. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus and his disciples to say, are you the one we've been looking for or should we wait and look for someone else? In other words, are you the Messiah or, or is there someone else to come. This is one of those statements that makes us ask a lot of things, but we have to read this statement in the context of Luke's gospel only, I think is where we start with this. In Luke's gospel, we have the birth narrative. We have the birth announcements of both John and Jesus and the connection between them, but we don't have a baptism scene. So in Luke's gospel, the story Luke is writing, John and Jesus have not had that we know of the direct interaction. So this isn't John, or John who baptized Jesus, now doubting Jesus and going, did I get it wrong? Are you right? No, it's, it's John confirming what was prophesied at their birth. Are you the one or, or is there someone else that we should be looking for? And Jesus sends word back in good Jesus fashion. Doesn't say yes or no, but disciples of John, John had his own disciples, Tell what you've seen, you know, the, and it's things that Isaiah said should be looked for in the Messiah. Uh, the, the, uh, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, all signs of the Messiah listed by Isaiah. 
John's disciples leave. And then Jesus talks to his own disciples and starts to talk about John. And, and we don't really, we think it says the crowd here, but there's no mention of the crowd before this. This is probably Jesus speaking to the disciples and, and maybe from the narrator's perspective to us as well. Um, but whoever Jesus is talking to, he begins to talk a little bit about John and said, when you all went out to see John, what in the world did you expect? Did you expect some weak person, some reed bent by the wind? Did you expect someone in fine clothes with power, someone with soft, fine clothes? No, you, you expected a prophet. Uh, you expected someone perhaps coarse of speech. You expected someone that, that dressed odd and ate weird things. You, you expected someone that the spirit of God spoke through and said provocative and challenging and sometimes offensive things. You expected a prophet of God. And then he goes on to say, and yes, John is a prophet. Remember 400 years, 400 years, the people of God had been praying for and asking for a prophet to come. Someone that would show them again, call them back to God's ways. They'd been praying for this. And here was John. And Jesus said, John was a prophet, but he was in some ways more than a prophet. He was the prophet of prophets. He was the one spoken of. He said, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Among those born of women, Jesus says, none is greater than John. And then we come to our section today our section of scripture. Jesus is still talking to the crowd or to the disciples, and he talks about the Jewish leader's reaction to Jesus and to John. And he said, they're kind of like kids who can't decide what they want. And anything you offer them, they're not happy with. Anyone that's not even parenting or grandparenting, just been around kids for more than 10 minutes, they're gonna exemplify this. No matter what you offer, they're not going to be happy with it sometimes. He said, to what can I compare this generation? And the quote seems to be like a children's songs. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We played a dirge for you and you did not weep. You ever have that with your kids, with your grandkids? We're bored. Like, well, go do one of the 84 things that have been provided for you by your parents and grandparents. Do you want to play Xbox? Do you want to play Nintendo Switch? Do you want to play Legos? Do you want to watch one of the eight streaming services we subscribe to? Do you want to go on a run? Do you want to go on a walk? Do you want to do any of this? No, we're bored. And then you get mad and say, well, when we were kids, we were always bored and boredom was great and we loved every minute. You know, it goes down from there. He said, these... These guys can't be happy. John comes and doesn't eat and fast, and they say he has a demon. Jesus says, I come. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they call him a drunkard and a glutton. You can't make these guys happy. It's an interesting statement. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. But the Gospel of Luke bears this out. You know, it's told as a comparison here, but the Gospel of Luke bears it out that this is what Jesus did a lot of. One commentary said that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is almost always either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And again, the Gospel, when you read it through, I hadn't thought of it like that, but it bears this out. I mean, Luke 5, I'll run through them real quick. Luke 5, tax collector, sinner. Uh, Luke, or he's eating with a tax collector and sinner at the home of Levi. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during the meal. Luke uh, 9, Jesus feeds the 
the 5,000 and provides. Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. I'm just getting going, guys. It goes on. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of law at a meal. Luke 14, it ur Jesus urges people to invite poor to their meals rather than their friends. Luke 19, last week, right? Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Luke 22 is the last supper, this meal with his disciples. Luke 24, uh, the risen Christ has a meal with the two disciples on the way in Emmaus. And then later eats with the, the fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 14 tells the parent. So then that's just Jesus eating. Then he teaches about eating. He talks about eating throughout Luke as well. In addition to these, 14, the parable of the great banquet. 15, parable of prodigal son, which ends with what? A party and a great banquet. Uh, on and on it goes. Uh, 15, contrasts the rich man who feasted sumptuously with the beggar who desired to be fed crumbs from the table. Three times he talks about uh, eating and drinking regarding being in the kingdom of God. Food is used to describe salvation and judgment twice in Luke 1 and Luke 6. People are described in terms of good food and bad food. Luke 3, Luke 6, Luke 12. Whew, I'm done. But do you see how important eating and drinking and food is? Ju that's just the gospel of Luke. All of this eating and drinking talk and Jesus' specific comment in 734 here that the Son of Man has come eating and drinking surprises me on two fronts. I'd be curious if it surprises you as well. First, before today, if I would have asked you, we're going to take a poll, Jesus said he came to do three things in the Gospels. Name the top three. Would any of us put eating and drinking in those top three? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Sure, I don't know if we'd always put it, but yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense. Jesus came seeking and saving the lost. We may not phrase it like that, but yeah, that's gonna be there. Jesus came eating and drinking? I don't think for most of us, if not all of us, that would necessarily be one of the first three things. Not that Jesus is saying these are the top three, but it's interesting that he mentions it. We might flip that and say, uh, what are the top three things Jesus wants you to do with your life? What are the top three things, ways Jesus wants you to serve him? Would any of us put eating and drinking as the prime ways Jesus might want us or use us for his kingdom? and to serve him. You know, when you find a surprise in scripture, you better pay attention. If you're ever reading through scripture and you go, huh, that's odd, that doesn't quite make sense, pay attention to that. That's often a, a holy nudge, the Holy Spirit wanting to teach you something or something you've noticed that may be worth uh, grow, you know, opportunity for growth and learning more. The second surprise is that Jesus ate and drank in such a way that got him into trouble. I mean, he ate and drank in such a way that he was called a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I think the complaint, I mean, again, just think about that for a minute. How many ways can you really get in trouble eating and drinking? And I'm not talking about like blood pressure, right? Or, you know, calorie counts or things like that, weight gain. How many times can you like socially get in trouble for eating and drinking? It's something worth 
paying attention to. It makes much more sense in the culture where, where there were dietary laws for those who, who followed God, for, Jewish, for those who were Jewish. There were laws about who you could and could not eat with because they were protecting their identity. They were under Roman oppressors and there was pressure to assimilate and there was a pressure to break out and, and to become Roman in many ways. Many had done this throughout history. And so there's pressure to, to eat the right things that preserve our identity, eat with the right people, our people, to preserve our identity. These were theirs. These rules were there and boundaries were there for good spiritual, social reasons. And here is Jesus flaunting them. He disrupted, intentionally disrupting expectations to make a holy point, to show something new God was doing in the world, in and through him. In Luke's gospel, eating and drinking is one of, I'll just for the rest of the sermon, I'll call it the, the method Jesus uses to carry out his purpose. Not to be served, but to serve, to seek and to save the lost. The, the method of that that we see throughout here is eating and drinking. He, he ate with those on the outside of the, that felt maybe or, or knew or others perceived as on the outside of the kingdom of God in hopes that they might see themselves and become inside the kingdom of God and upended expectations for everybody there with Levi, the tax collector who ate with Jesus and ends up selling everything to follow him. He ate with those who thought they were on the inside of what God was doing, but with Jesus here and their response to Jesus found themselves on the outside looking in and he told them so. <laughs> he told the Pharisees, he told the scribes and others that, that they are outside of what God is doing here. They've rejected what God's doing here. He, he ate with his inner circle. He ate with Mary and Martha. He, he ate with his, his friends. He ate with his disciples for encouragement to teach, to teach them more, but also presumably for fellowship and for the joy that it is to eat with people we love. He ate to serve. He fed 5,000 people and, and again, 4,000 people a little later on. Eating and drinking were his method to serve others. Eating and drinking were his method to seek and to save the lost. It's got to make us ponder our own eating and drinking habits. Right now, I'm not talking about calorie intake, right? Whether we should cook more or eat out less, things like that. With whom have you shared a meal or a drink recently? Have you gathered with your close friends and family and told stories and encouraged one another, left after being together longer than you expected with bellies and hearts and souls full? I hope so. Have you called that friend that you know is lonely or that you know is grieving, that you know is hurting in some way and asked them to coffee or lunch or to come over to the house for cookies or coffee cake or something and taking the time and the care to have that soul conversation. You know, soul conversations. They cut through the chit chat, that cut through the fluff and kind of get to the heart of the matter that friends, family, those in our, our inner circle have with one another. 
Have you sat at table with someone who, who was far from God or angry at God or struggling in their faith or, or of another faith, perhaps, and, and listened and loved them and answered their questions and, and shared a bit maybe of your heart and just been there for them as a friend? Jesus had a purpose. And eating and drinking was a method to accomplish his purpose. And, and it was a brilliant method. I, I preached about this a few weeks ago about the power of table and the power of eating together. And we shared pictures and stories of the tables that, that meant something to us in our life. And, and we know this. We, we sit in worship like this, and it's wonderful. I love worship. But, but also, you could sit, I mean, right across the aisle from someone for decades and really never know them or never become friends with them, never even know how to pray for them personally. But you sit at table with someone across from someone. You take an hour or two to break bread and then share something to drink and you share stories and you connect. And there's something about the table that's holy and, and that, that brings people together, that brings us into deeper and closer relationship. It was a brilliant method. It also happens to be something we have to do to survive. Everyone's got to eat, right? That's the saying. We know this. Everyone's got to drink to live, to breathe. Uh, we, we need this. Like Jesus, we must know our purpose in this world. And our purpose is to live like Jesus, to live a life that looks like Jesus, to live a life that is ever being conformed into the image of Jesus. We also need a method to carry out that purpose. Jesus gives us this method, and it's a brilliant method, but it's not the only one out there. It's certainly not the only one Jesus used. This is my challenge for you this week. What is your method for accomplishing the purpose of your life? What is your method for accomplishing the purpose of you serving Jesus in the world with the life God has given you? What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? What do you spend your time and your energy and your, your passions on? How might God use that, those things that you do every week, those things you enjoy, those things you love and have passion for, how might God use you doing those things for his purposes, to impact people for his kingdom? People do this all sort of ways, based on our stage of life, based on where we live, based on our strengths and gifts and challenges. There's unique things we each are created to do. Dave Ballard invited me to a great event this week of Biblical Leadership for Excellence, which talks about workplace ministry and how much time those of us who are working spend at work. Y'all, you don't have to go across the world to serve Jesus. You just have to go to the office. <laughs> And God is going to have people there. God is going to have opportunity there. No matter what you spend your time doing, you're going to probably talk to someone, encounter someone, and there are ways to be the presence of Christ there. I knew a family in Virginia who had uh, four kids who were all highly ADHD. And church is hard for kids 
period, <laughs> to sit here, but, but with ADHD. And so what they did is they, they still were a part of the church, but they started going, they found families whose kids kind of had the same energy level and rambunctious level. And they went to the park at the same time. And some parents watched the kids and the other parents sat. And while the kids were being corralled, talked about their faith and talked about where God was moving and talked about their challenges of life. And they used something that, that is both a gift and a challenge and found a way to use that for the kingdom of God. I know friends that have started churches based on groups of kayakers they were with, and they went kayaking with the same group. And they said, let's just go kayaking. And after we stopped kayaking, hey, would some of y'all like to just talk about Jesus together and your faith and what you think and don't think? And they saw people come to know him. Y'all, the options are limitless. Where do you live? What do you do? What do you enjoy doing? from the youngest to the oldest, there's some way we can have a method to accomplish the purpose God has given us at this stage of our life. The method to our purpose will always be grounded in love for the people with whom we are in friendship. The method to our purpose will always be grounded in, in real people, people that we know, people that, that we meet, and their needs and, and the preciousness with which God sees them and therefore we should see them. The method to our purpose will always mimic the ways of Jesus. I'm betting at some point, the method to your purpose will involve food and drink somehow, some way. <laughs> what is your method the Holy Spirit will use to help you accomplish God's purpose for you? Y'all, I pray our future is filled individually and collectively, with fun and energizing and creative and sometimes weird and sometimes crazy and sometimes failing and many times effective ideas of how the Spirit will inspire methods among us to accomplish our purpose in the world, to accomplish God's purpose for us. Come tell me about it. Come visit with one of the staff about it. Talk about it in your Sunday school classes. Come on Wednesday night and ruin my Wednesday night Bible study by telling me how God is using some new idea you have for ministry. That'll be okay. I'm praying for that to happen among us. Let me pray. God, convict us of our purpose. We exist for a reason. We exist for your glory. We exist to live our life for you, to shine for you in the world, to be salt in the world, to go throughout our day with your love on our lips, your love in our bearing and our posture toward the world. Reveal to us the methods that we are suited for, how we might be your presence where we work and where we live and where we play how we might bring intention to some of the things we do all the time anyway that may be used powerfully for you. Holy Spirit, stir in our midst. Teach us and reveal to us so that we might be used greatly for you. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. 
For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.